Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. So, I had a conversation this week with someone, and he, he told me that somehow he's fallen into this kind of business which is kind of like a, an extension of the business that he's in right now. And this is a pretty young guy, by the way. Which is he's making a bourbon factory in Kentucky. <laughs> which is like, like, how do you fall into making a bourbon factory into Kentucky, in Kentucky? But th- this is true. I know the guy. So, so I asked him. I said, you know, there, you know, I've read about these legendary Kentucky bourbons, and in fact, there was even a, a well-written-about theft of like these rare bourbons a number of years ago that were stolen. And I know that liquor has become like something that people collect now and is fairly expensive. And so I asked him. I said, Has, "Have you been served any of this rare, any of this rare?" you know, liquor. And he told me, he said, I just recently had a shot of scotch from a bottle of 19, of Macallans. If you know anything about scotch, Macallans is one of the top, top names. Macallans from 1935. Now that's like, if you know anything, that's like, what? 1935 Macallans? Like, you can't, you can't even find that. And I asked him, I said, how much would that cost if you had that in a restaurant? And, and he, he Googled what the bottle would cost, and it's something like what he, what he told me when he Googled it was something like $14,000 to $30,000, something like that. That's the range for the bottle. So a shot would be at least $1,000, $2,000, at least, if you could find it. So I said to him, how was it? And he said, I don't like scotch, so it wasn't good at all. (laughs) So I I thought that was fascinating. I thought that that was absolutely fascinating. By the way, I I told that story to my son, and then he told me about, he had just heard a podcast with the actor Matthew McConaughey. And while he was just starting to make it as an actor, he now had a little extra money and he hired this housekeeper and he came home one day and his blue jeans had been ironed. And he was like, this is amazing, ironed blue jeans, I, this is great. And then he put them on and then he realized, I don't like iron blue jeans. <laughs> so, so, you know, you've got all these luxuries, but you know, here are these sort of like very surprising responses to them. And so I started thinking about it a little bit more. And again, we're still talking about Yosef. And we're still talking about us today. We're talking about how do we survive in exile? The last line of this week's Parsha is that they settled in the land. That's a that's sort of a, a free translation of them, of, of the of the of the Pusik. But the Medrash says, because remember, this is when the Jewish people are going down into Egypt 
as a nation. We're not talking about individuals anymore. We're talking about the Jewish people themselves have now officially gone down into Egypt. And the Medrash sort of like says, you know, it's not that they, they grabbed the land, so to speak. It's that the land grabbed them. And again, you know, there's this, I think it's 1980s slang, but who's zooming who? I don't know if you know that expression. <laughs> now zoom means something else, right? It means telecommunicating. But before it's like, who's, who's working who? That's what it used to mean. You're grabbing the land like the Jews apparently were becoming real estate tycoons. Like if you want to know that we're, we're Jews as real estate barons, like the source in the Torah for it, it's right here. They were acquiring real estate. But what was really going on? The land was grabbing them. How do you protect against that? Because we're in the throes of that right now. All of us are in the throes of that right now. And it's not just economic. It's cultural as well. There's, there's a word, when, when I was studying government, it was like a fancy government word, hegemony. Or some people pronounce it hegemony, which I don't think is the right, translation, the right pronunciation. And they talk about cultural hegemony. What, what is hegemony? Means that it's basically when you colonize another nation. When you, when you take them over. But it doesn't necessarily mean militarily taking them over. You can basically take over another nation by having them accept your culture. And now you're ruling over them because they have accepted your culture over their culture. That's the land grabbing you. That, that, that's what's going on right now. Or it's already gone on. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're sort of at the, you know, you can decide where in the process we're at as a people. So I was thinking about this 1935 bottle of Macallans. And the following question came to me. If someone, if you were that person who's already tasted a shot of it, right? Listen carefully. You've already tasted. You already didn't like it. Now someone gives you a choice. Here's a bottle. What would you prefer? A bottle of 1935 Macallans or a hamburger? <laughs> now let's assume that you actually like hamburgers and this is a good hamburger. And just in case you're trying to be too smart, you can't sell the bottle. <laughs> you can't give it away. This bottle is only for you to drink by yourself. Which would you pick? So on one level, this is a very easy question. Well, I don't like this. And I do like this. So I would pick the hamburger. But honestly, would you pick the hamburger? 
Would you? Why? Because what you're seeing is a hamburger in one hand. Someone is offering you a choice between, let's say, $15 in one hand and $20,000 in another hand. Do you have the strength to take the $15 and leave the $20,000 on the table? But you say to yourself, but wait, I don't like the bottle of scotch. It's $20,000, but I don't like it. And I do like the hamburger, but it's $20,000. But you can't enjoy that $20,000, which now brings us to a deeper question. How do you assign value to things in your life? Are you accepting the value proposition that society is putting on things? Or are you deciding on your own value propositions? Now this is where it gets deep. And this is how I'm telling you this is a real tool for navigating the exile. You see, let me tell you something about advertising, okay? Advertising is extremely psychological. So let's say I want to sell a car, right? I've got the new Toyota car. Well, why should they buy my Toyota car? They've got about 50 other choices on the marketplace. Well, what if I cast the beaut a beautiful family, a husband and a wife who love each other, and these good-looking kids, right? And I put them in front of the car, and they're going to go someplace. Ah, so you know what? Not only that, but they're so happy and healthy. So now, all of a sudden, I make a car commercial, and I put a beautiful piece of music behind it. And what is that car now? That car isn't just a choice of one of 50 cars. That choice, if I buy that car, I can be a family man. <laughs> I can have a beautiful, happy wife or a handsome, successful husband. I can have healthy children who, who are well-behaved and who want to spend time with their parents. And a piece of music that brings a tear to my eyes in 20 seconds. How did they do that? And now all of a sudden, they have succeeded in arousing an emotion inside of me and pinning that emotion to their product. That's advertising in a nutshell. That's how it works. They pick aspirational imagery and they put it on their product and they convince you in this unconscious, very subtle, emotional way that you're not just getting the product, you are getting all of these lifestyle things that go with the product. But let's go even deeper. What they're conditioning you to do in order to sell their product, not to make you a better, happier, more productive citizen, but in order to sell their product, they are trying to make you dream their dreams. And that's when the, that's when the land grabs you. You're not 
grabbing the land anymore. The land is grabbing you. That's cultural hegemony. That's when you adopt the culture of the land that you're in, when they can get you to dream their dreams instead of our own dreams. So when you're faced with a hamburger in one hand and a bottle of 1935 McCallans in the other hand, and you know you don't like that because you've already tasted it and you don't want it, and you like hamburgers, what are you battling against? Why is it not just a no-brainer? Give me the hamburger and get out of here. Because they're presenting you the dreams of success of the Western world. <laughs> and how can I say no to the dreams of success of the Western world? It's all contained within that bottle of liquor that I don't like. <laughs> so we've got to assign values. We've got to start asking ourselves, what makes me happy? What makes me most satisfied? What makes me the best version of me? What allows my soul to blossom and to flourish? And there are certain, there are certain things of absolute inherent value. Inherent value. And if we're going to build a foundation for survival, we have to be able to appreciate these things of inherent value. Shabbos, Torah, mitzvahs, community, transcendence, wholesomeness, purity. These are the things that make our soul sing, make our soul blossom. Reb Shlomo said that when God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, that he allowed us to dream his dreams and to pray his prayers. That's what we got with the Torah. The ability to dream God's dreams and pray God's prayers. To be in ultimate harmony with the universe, with God, and with our own souls. So these are tools for how to deal with the outside forces, with the outside forces of exile. And I want to give you a couple of tools to deal with the inside forces of exile as well. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.